ulterior. So I know y'all are here for the top 10 records of 2022, and so am I, but beforehand, I want to dive a little bit into a story I have to tell because I feel like it makes sense right now. Tomorrow here in San Antonio, Texas, we are expecting uncharacteristically cold weather and Arctic winds and that kind of shit. And it's meant to be the coldest weather for this city ever since the snowstorm back in February of 2021. The reason why I bring that up is because it was during that snowstorm where I was just so bored and I decided, what if I tried recording one podcast episode? Because a couple of days before that, I was telling a friend of mine how I didn't really believe in the like reviewing website thing that I had planned out and I wasn't sure how it was going to go. And she said like, uh, what if you do it as a podcast? And I said, who would listen to that? And she said, I would. And in my mind, I thought, if she says she would, there's got to be at least a handful of other people who would. And I sat down in my room that day and I recorded the top 10 artists of January 2021 episode. And it's still up if you want to go listen to it. I advise you not to because the sound quality is fucking garbage and I sound like a robot. No idea what to say. No fluidity whatsoever in my flow and that kind of stuff. And here I am, almost two years later, sitting down in my room, waiting for this cold-ass weather, and the only difference between back then and now is that I have almost a hundred weekly chapters finished for this show. I have been able to review records and EPs and singles from almost every single band I have ever wanted to. I am literally sitting here right now ready to tell you guys what my 10 favorite records of the year were because I fucking put in the work and I got to this point. I'm going to gas myself up for a second because I never give myself credit. I never let myself shine. I never let myself have this kind of a feeling, but I'm here because of me, because of you guys as well. Like seriously, you guys have been able to drive me to the point where I feel like doing this, but I am the one who sits here weekly talking about this shit and putting out the graphics and all that kind of stuff. I never have passion or drive for anything, but this podcast has been able to bring something out of me that I didn't know was there. And that is kind of like this full circle moment and feeling that I really, really needed to just get out there. So yeah, I'm going to go ahead and play the usual intro and then come back and go over what I need to about rules and regulations before proceeding with the 10 definitive top records of the year for myself. Thank you. Something I said at the start of the top 20 songs episode was I wanted to make it brief. I didn't want to waffle on. I didn't want to keep you guys here for a long time. And then that episode ended up being like an hour 45. So I can say right now, I don't want to keep you guys here for that long for the records. 
but I can't guarantee that that's what's going to happen. So if this recording ends up being like an hour, cool. I, I did what I wanted to. If it's almost two hours, I'm sorry, but I got some shit to say. When I did this episode last year, the winning record received what was called at the time the Mikasa Award. The name is being altered slightly right now, so this year and every year afterwards, the number one record of the year will get what is now being named the Mikasa and Historia Award. So just wanted to establish that now before proceeding. If you hear like sounds in the background, it's fucking windy right now, so there's like branches and shit hitting my windows. It is what it is. I apologize, but at the same time, I don't know what you want me to do about that. And yeah, I feel like that's all I really had to say as far as like a setup goes, and I'm just ready to get into the list now. After a week of recording and editing and then a much longer time frame for deliberation, this is what I settled on. These are the 10 absolute best fucking records I got to listen to and review all year long. So, let's go. Number 10 is Act 4 Savior by Vanish. This is Vindication, in a way. This is me getting to take a band that I've always known had that dog in them and put on full display to you guys every reason why I believe Act 4 Savior is not only one of the best records of the year for myself, not only my second favorite EP this year, but at large, one of the best EPs in recent scene memory. For those who might not know, Vanish had a record out back in 2019. It was called Familiar Faces, a record that if I was doing this kind of podcast material back then, I, I wouldn't have shut the fuck about this record and I wouldn't have wanted to because Familiar Faces was so pivotal for me at the time that it released. And all these years later, I still go back to Slip. I still go back to Roleplay. There are still so many tracks on there that mean the world to me. And then just nothing happened with Vanish, or seemingly nothing happened. And, you know, a, a lot of bands went dark in the pandemic is what it is, but I kind of had that selfish hope that sooner or later Vanish would resurface and I could get on this microphone and tell you guys about the absolute brilliance that this band possesses. So then imagine my merchant ass when they dropped Misfits back in April of this year. And when I first heard that song, I was so blown away for different reasons. Misfits did not sound the way I would have imagined Vanish coming back would have when it came to the style ventured by this band. And I mean that because the verses in Misfits have this electronic tone to them, but it is fucking incredible. And then the chorus on Misfits just has this explosiveness that I cannot get enough of. The same thing happened with Leech, the next single thereafter. Leech 
is a, a gem of a song. It is an achievement this year by any band. It is the kind of song where, like, when that first chorus hits and it sounds incomplete and you just have the vocal track being influenced in the background by this bass line, it is so amazing what something as simple as that can do for me and my attachment to a project. I mentioned choruses when talking about Misfits. This EP just top to bottom, chorus after chorus after chorus. Oblivion, one of the biggest choruses of the entire year. I cannot listen to that song without just wanting to sing every part of it out loud. The same thing can be applied to Loss and then Parachute. I mentioned Parachute very, very high in the songs list. Parachute is just everything I can ask for from not only Vanish, but any band in the scene. Like, if you are hitting a song like Parachute, you have a fucking spot in any best of year-end list I do from here on out. Parachute is one of the best songs of the year. It is one of the best songs I've heard from any band over the last number of years. You know, so is, again, Leech and Oblivion. Make Believe is another song that really feeds into what I said about the electronic style that Vanish managed to master and perfect on this EP. Just everything about Act 4, Savior. Like I mentioned at the top of this, it was vindication because here is this band who off of familiar faces I was ready to champion in a really big way and then now coming out of Act 4 Savior I don't need to champion them they champion themselves they made enough of a case without me saying a fucking word for why they are one of the best bands in the world right now and why Act 4 Savior is one of the best records of the entire year and I put it against any EP from last year or the year before, Act 4 Savior is a generational release. Number 9 is Stargazer by Mood Ring. Show Me The Real You, Mood Ring said last year, and that EP was something I was able to more than like take as an accomplishment, take as a note of promise, per se, because that's what was shown on that EP, promise, potential, the ability for Mood Ring to one day blossom into one of the best bands in the world. I didn't know that it was going to happen so quickly, though. I didn't know that on their first try at a full-length album, they were going to succeed in a massive way. But considering the quality present here on Stargazer, there was nothing else that could have happened. There was no other plausible outcome than for me to sit here today and name Stargazer one of the 10 best records of 2022. I feel like I've seen so many people and outlets online try to describe the sound of Mood Ring. And all of them kind of end up around the same area in where they're pointing at 
alt metal, new metal, shoegaze. And in that process of trying to box Mood Ring into a category, none of it really matters. Because I have never listened to anything before that sounds like Mood Ring. Yes, I can sit here and say they have a lot of similarities to Deftones. But what I will also say is that I enjoy Stargazer way fucking more than any Deftones release ever. And that's not me shitting on Deftones, that is me praising Mood Ring. This album is beautiful while being grotesque, while being mysterious, and also being the exact kind of album that something of this caliber needed to be. I can look at the back-to-back stretch of Peel and the title track and say those two songs alone make a strong enough case for Mood Ring to be one of the just most beast acts in the world when it comes to delivering on every promise of theirs. Peel is a song that I mention in the Top 100 series, and I feel like every time I hear it, I'm just learning to love it even more. Like, Peel is such an infectious song. It is a song that has been able to, like, tattoo itself onto my brain, and I have no way of letting it go, and also no intentions of ever letting it go. The title track is a bit more grounded in what I mentioned earlier about shoegaze, and it's able to have this character that blends so perfectly well into everything else that is going on here on Stargazer. There are songs like Constrict and Red Light Gossip where I could have easily imagined being in the early 2000s and hearing like grunge type inspired shit on the radio and these major courses being the ones that just infiltrate my ears and have this grasp on me that would shape me for the rest of my life. That is what Stargazer sounds like. That is what Mood Ring managed to bring to me this year. They can also experiment whenever they feel like it. There's a song here, Nike, that has some electronic bits and pieces thrown in into the other elements that are already present on the album, and it is still as much of a winning formula as any other track here is able to display. I feel like with other songs here like Novocaine Bones, just everything about the influences for Mood Ring shine and kind of just allow me to really get into the minds of everybody in this band and have a bit of a better understanding of like what their background is, where they're coming from, and also, again, how I feel like they have already eclipsed those bands that inspired them. The only thing I can say about Stargazer in terms of like what maybe prevents it from being ranked a little bit higher is that I feel like I do need to be in a certain mood to fully intake this record and achieve the level of appreciation that it deserves. If I am... Well, okay, let me take that back. I was going to say if I'm happy, I'm hardly ever happy, but let's just say hypothetically I am happy. I probably wouldn't want to listen to Stargazer because it is the kind of album that just takes a knife and eviscerates me in every possible manner, but it does so in a very beautiful way. And 
I don't always feel like listening to Stargazer, but when I'm in the headspace that allows me to listen to it, there are few albums that can do the things to my brain that Stargazer can so willingly and welcomingly do. Number eight is A Eulogy for Those Still Here by Counterparts. If I'm going to keep it a stack with you guys, there probably is some bit of retconning on my end that should be done when it comes to my feelings towards the eulogy for those still here because while I am naming it one of the 10 best albums of the year and I truly do believe it has maintained that status ever since I first heard it back at the beginning of October, I don't know if it's actually my favorite Counterparts record ever. Because I listened to A Eulogy for Those Still Here and then afterwards went back to Nothing Left to Love and You're Not You Anymore. And those records, they really do match a lot of the elements on A Eulogy for Those Still Here. Where I think, if anything, Eulogy is able to stand above those records, it deals with the circumstances surrounding this album and how it came to be, or at least what I have as an understanding of how it came to be. And a lot of that is rooted in the malevolence surrounding situations that Brandon Murphy, the vocalist of Counterparts, has been in, and how that really shaped this album in kind of a diabolical way, if we really look at it like that. So this album starts off maybe in the most emotional manner out of any album that I am talking about today or at any duration in the week. 7-26-2020 is just this really short intro track, but there is so much pain that I can sense in that song just from, you know, some little production bits. Like, it's not even really a full song, but it's still able to let me understand that this is an album that is going to be hard to navigate. And then that goes into Whispers of Your Death. And Whispers of Your Death, I tried to say what I needed to about that song in the top 100 song series. Maybe I succeeded, maybe I didn't. But what, what I will say right now is that Whispers of Your Death is one of the most important and meaningful songs I have listened to, not just this year, but in the entirety of my life. And it is a song that I would hope nobody listening to this right now ever has to relate to because for you to be able to relate fully to whispers of your death you went through stuff like you saw something and you felt something in your life that changed you forever and even in the video for whispers you know just watching kuma lying there and the speaker next to him and just being able to observe with my eyes and my heart this entity 
that meant so much to Brandon the way that my cats right now mean to me. And they're literally in front of me right now. Levi is sleeping on my bed. Historia is on my desk chair. I can't see Armin, but I can hear him eating some dry food. They are my life. They're the most important things in the world to me right now. And having the connection to Whispers of Your Death that I do, it's kind of because things have gone wrong before. But even through these very painful themes, the just raw and energetic hardcore nature of Counterparts is beaming through this album in every second that makes it up. Because I can listen to songs like Bound to the Burn and Unwavering Vow, Sworn to Silence, and just be invigorated by them the same way that I have been counterparts material for the last number of years, ever since I first discovered them back in 2015, 2016 maybe. And all throughout that, there is still this great level of versatility shown by the band, especially on a song like Skin Beneath a Scar, which the pacing of that song is so different from anything else here, yet it still carries that same emotional punch as any other song present here. And even like, at least through the first bit of Soil 2, that is still a very prevalent theme for this album. The closing song, A Mass Grave of Saints. I, I know somebody in the band, Counterparts, mentioned it as the best song that the band had ever put out. Even if I personally don't agree with that, I would never argue with anybody who is of the belief that A Mass Grave of Saints is the best counterpart song ever made, or the lifeblood of this album, or like the pinnacle of it per se. I totally understand it, because The Masquerade of Saints is an accomplishment. It is one of those songs that I don't feel like anybody will ever be able to forget where they were when they first heard it, or at large, I don't know how anybody can forget where they were when they first heard a eulogy for those steer her all the way through, because I can tell you guys right now, I was lying down on my bed, my cat Historia was sleeping on my chest, and that made every second of this masterful record all the more agonizing while I had to understand how lucky I am to have her, and to have Levi, and to have Armin, and to have these entities in my life to, you know, love unconditionally, because... I am reminded through this album that one day we're not going to have each other. Whatever happens first, whether I lose them or they lose me, something is going to happen. And I need to appreciate that in the moment. And a eulogy for those still here is a big reason for me to hopefully understand that and accept it. Number seven is Complete Collapse by sleeping with sirens. I have never actually disliked Sleeping of Sirens, but I have disliked 
the way they've been moving the last few years. I'm going to say something that you guys either feel yourselves or you've heard other people express before. I fucking hate gossip. I think gossip is one of the biggest pieces of shit that has ever seen the light of day in this scene in at least recent memory, if not just in fucking history altogether. There's nothing redeemable about that record. I cannot believe Sirens did that. I don't understand how you go from something like Madness, which I fucking adore, into gossip and just put this fucking dent into your trajectory. Again, I will never understand why they did that, why that album sounds the way it does, why they believed that was the right step for them. How It Feels to Be Lost corrected the course somewhat, but there are still so many avenues on that record that just don't make sense to me. Like, I can remember watching this band play live as part of the threesome tour with Bring Me the Horizon and Poppy in 2019. I wanted to be anywhere else in the world, but standing there listening to Bloodlines. Bloodlines fucking sucks. And I felt the same way when they released, I think it's called Talking to Myself. It was on the deluxe edition of the record and the chorus is like, I'm not talking shit, I'm just talking to myself, which is like, bro, you should have kept the one in the drafts, like for real, for real. So going into Complete Collapse, I didn't have the full level of trust that I wanted to in Sleeping of Sirens to deliver on a full album. I knew that there would be songs on this record that I gravitate to because I can remember back in the middle of 2021 and hearing Bloody Knuckles and just being like, yo, what the fuck is this? Like, this band is on one again. Like, they've got something here, something really special that they can build upon. But I didn't know for sure that that would happen. And even working my way through the singles rollout and hearing Crosses and Let You Down and Control-Alt-Delete and song by song having my love and adoration for Sleeping Sirens be reaffirmed, I still had my doubts. I still hesitated to allow myself to believe that I was going to get a dub of a record from Sleeping Sirens because it just felt to me like maybe that was something that they couldn't really do anymore. And then so October 14th, the same day as like fucking 15 other records, I listened to Complete Collapse and I couldn't stop listening to it. I could not put it down. I still cannot put it down two months later. Like this record still has the stranglehold on me right now that it did back then. And there were so many different reasons for that. Like the songs I just mentioned as a single is like those still hold up immensely well. Tyrants is one of the best opening songs of the year. And it is the kind of song that was necessary to get you fucking amped for complete collapse. What we hear on this record is Sleeping Sirens navigate heavier tones for them. And then also things that are a little bit more in alignment with the emotional side that they have ventured into plenty of times. Family Tree, Be Happy Featuring Rolling Serpent. Like those songs are able to just put me in that really like emo headspace. And I fucking love that for those songs. Be Happy is my favorite Sleeping Siren song in a fucking minute. I would really have to think about like what in the past I can compare it to, but that song has meant more to me in the last two months 
than some songs I got to spend the entire year with did. There's never a dull moment or a moment where I feel like this band doesn't know how to produce these incredible rock songs. Us featuring Dorothy, I think, is a good showcase in how Sleeping Sirens can take something that is admittedly a little bit more generic in its boundaries and still master that craft. Mr. Nice Guy, I've seen and heard some sectors of seeing social media have some not so nice things to say about this song, no pun intended, but I think Mr. Nice Guy is just really fucking fun. It has this amazing structure to it, an amazing flow, and it's a song that just gets me in a good mood no matter what is happening. By the end of the album, Complete Collapse gives me one of my favorite closing tracks of the year, Grave, and how that song kind of has this acoustic feel to it, but it's not entirely acoustic, but it's able to still just resonate with me as if it was an acoustic song, and I'm able to finish this album on as high of a note as I could have possibly finished it on, and by the time I was all the way through Complete Collapse, I just sat there and thought, holy fucking shit, Sleeping with Sirens, they really did that. They are still some fucking dogs. They still have that Hooper mentality. It just didn't really shine on the past two record cycles, but on Complete Collapse, it does. Complete Collapse might actually be my favorite Sleeping with Sirens album ever, and to be able to say that about a 2022 release is just mind-boggling, because this band has been around for a fucking minute, yet right now is where it feels like they are operating at their peak in terms of performance. Complete Collapse is an amazing album, one of my favorite things this band has ever put out. Again, I just said maybe it is my favorite overall, I really have to continue to think about it, but no matter what the case may be, Sleeping with Sirens did exactly what they needed to, and now I can say that the stench from Gossip and somewhat how it feels to be lost is gone, and it is instead replaced by the impact that I will never be able to shake off from complete collapse. Number six is The Death of Peace of Mind by Bad Omens. Let's talk about Badamans for a second because I can remember discovering this band very early on into their tenure. It was right before the self-titled dropped in 2016 and just pulling up the video for The Worst in Me and seeing the YouTube comments just kind of bashing this band for reasons that I didn't think were fair because yes, you can say they sound like Bring Me the Horizon. You can say that at one point, Noah looked like Ollie, like literally looked like him. But I don't think that ever once actually diminished the quality of their material. I thought The Worst in Me 
was an amazing song. I thought the self-titled album, even if not perfect and even if it definitely had its flaws, it was still a really good uh, establishing project for this band that would eventually become one of the most prominent acts in our scene. And if you couldn't notice the blueprint back then, I don't really know what it is you were looking for, other than just to make a breeze and to bully them. And they persisted. It didn't matter what people said about them. It didn't matter how small their band name was on a tour poster. They saw it through. And then you get to Finding God Before God Finds Me in 2019. A really, really, really strong album. Maybe like a top... 15 album that year for myself i'd really have to think about it but i do still feel strongly in favor of that record and then the case for that was only amplified once the deluxe edition came out and i got limits which is still to this day my favorite song from bad omens so having gone through all that the death of peace of mind i don't know if it's my favorite bad omens album it might be it might not be but it's the album of theirs that i feel like whenever i think about them, this is what comes to mind. And it's not a case of recency bias. Like, The Death of Peace of Mind is the most important body of work delivered by this band yet, and there are plenty of reasons for that. It's 100% the most versatile record of theirs yet. I feel like this is the best way that they could have kind of shown who their influences are and the kind of music that really excites this band and the kind of music that they really want to be making because you still have songs that are able to pull out the like metalcore style of the band such as artificial suicide and also some of the more tame alt rock outings from them like take me first and like a villain nowhere to go just pretend is another song that i can look at and say it has that nature to it Although Just Pretend has been able to take on a life of its own recently, Just Pretend took off on TikTok, and through that song having the popularity that it does, they managed to sell out the Concrete Jungle tour. Like, I, I want you guys to understand how monumental of an achievement that is for Bad Omens to have been able to do that for a song that's not even a single. It doesn't even have a music video as of this recording. Just Pretend is literally just a song that exists on The Death of Peace of Mind, yet for whatever reason, so many people, even people who don't fuck with Bad Omens, they manage to gravitate to this song. And if you really look at the track, it's not hard to kind of figure out like what it is about it that's so alluring. It is just lyrically very relatable while being very gutting. It's an amazing sounding song. The chorus is fucking huge. That's a strong suit for this album, Choruses. Like, this band just knows how to hook a listener and keep their attention all the way through. The title track, The Death of Peace of Mind, I remember back when it first dropped in, was it October or November 2021? The first, like, description that I saw of the song on Twitter was somebody saying that it sounded like The Weeknd. And, yeah, I actually do see where they're coming from with that, but I also feel like... I can find a little bit more substance with the Death of Peace of Mind title track than I can some of the more recent stuff by the weekend, but again, that's just me. Don't dox me for that. Like, there are some sections of this record that I can look at and just be like, you do not represent anything that I thought Bad Omens did, but I say that with a sense of pride in that I am proud 
that Bad Omens managed to step out of their comfort zone to the extent that they did on this album. And the ability to do that made sure that I didn't forget about the Death of Peace of Mind all the way from the end of February until now. Like, this album has been by my side the whole time. I have been able to listen to I Don't Want the Money or What Do You Want From Me just at random points and have as strong of an attachment to them now as I did back then when I first heard them. And again, I just feel like the versatility and the range on this album that has been able to do way more for Bad Omens in terms of creating staying power than their metalcore material did. The album has one of my favorite closers of the year for any project, and that is Miracle, which is able to, again, just really hammer in how far Bad Omens have come and how far removed they are from what people perceive them as because they managed to shed any bit of those like baby bring me the horizon allegations and i am happy that that's the case because now i don't think anybody looks at bad omens as being a copy of another band i think they look at them as being bad omens and whether that's a good or a bad thing for them it means that bad omens have been able to break out of the shell it means bad omens did become a staple of the scene and again it doesn't matter if anybody likes them or dislikes them. They know who the fuck Bad Omens are. And they at least listened to the Death of Peace of Mind. This album had their attention in some way. And at the end of every episode for the show, I say let's make a scene. Bad Omens did not just make a scene this year. Bad Omens practically became the scene. Number five is Fear by Stan Atlantic. Two years ago, somebody told me that one of their favorite albums of that year was Pink Elephant by Santa Atlantic, and I laughed at them, like audibly laughed at them. I owe you an apology. I was not familiar with your game. Like, I didn't hate Pink Elephant at all. I actually do quite enjoy some of the songs in there, especially Jurassic Park and Soap, but at large, I did not feel like Stan Atlantic delivered on that album. So, going into a new cycle, I remember having the singles Death Wish and Molotov OK, and just trying to understand, like, okay, what is happening here? Are they going to go the against the current route? And I don't have a better way of phrasing that, but what I mean by that against the current route is against the current went from Past Lives, which I still think is a pretty good album, into something a bit more aggressive and really matching the energy of the world for the last couple of years. They ended up getting Fever out of that, and Fever is one of my favorite EPs of all time. Stan Atlantic took a similar approach and delivered Fear in as big of a triumphant fashion as they possibly could have, because triumphant is exactly what this record is. It is an accomplishment 
on the part of Santa Atlantic. Everything about fear works. It works so, so, so fucking well. There is not a single moment on this album where I feel like Stan Atlantic are out of pocket or they're trying to like be something that they're not. They are exactly what they sound like on this record. Hoopers. You know that right away from Doomsday, the opening song, and how catchy it is while showing this like carefree nature of theirs. And they're able to just so seamlessly take aggression and morph it in this very fun manner for the entirety of fear. And it's not just Doomsday, Hair Out and Van Gogh, those are also songs where I can sense that uh that goal on the part of San Atlantic to give the listener something that is so angry but also fun at the same time. There are three songs in particular that ever since first listening to them I kind of see them as like the signature songs of fear, at least for myself. Pity Party, Don't Talk to Me, and EXO. Pity Party was one of the singles. It features Royal and Serpent, and it is able to take what should be like a very cringy and cheesy chorus, fuck you and your fucking Pity Party, and make it something so memorable and remarkable, and genuinely one of the best courses all year from any band. Don't Talk To Me is just a really like fun, energetic, and angry pop-punk song, and I feel like when it comes to what can be described as like the core sound of fear, there might not be a better song that dives into that core than Don't Talk To Me. And then there's EXO, which has this pacing to it that is meant to be like a little bit daunting and eerie in comparison to the other songs here because i've been saying that fear you know at large is a fun record exo doesn't really sound fun it sounds downbeat and depressing but i don't feel depressed when i hear it i feel rejuvenated i feel inspired i feel stan atlantic just breaking through any barriers that they might have been experiencing and delivering to me something like EXO that I will never forget. And the fact that it exists on a record that I will also never forget is something that I can never take away from San Atlantic. And then to also just kind of give another layer to what I've been saying about the fun and like carefree style of fear. The closing song, I wonder what kind of garlic bread they eat at Mensa. It's just a 40 second sound clip of Bonnie kind of just fucking around in between takes for the record. And the fact that this was chosen to be like the last thing you hear on fear. Again, what I mentioned earlier, it's just fun. It's really fucking fun. And Stan Atlantic, they proved me wrong in every facet, in every area that they needed to. They did just that. Stan Atlantic put out something that I will never be able to forget about in fear. And there are so many songs in here that I will never be able to remove myself from like pity party and EXO. They're going to be with me for a really, really long time. I am thrilled with this album and just even more, um, just beaming at the fact that I can sit here and call it one of the five best albums or records rather that I heard all year. 
Number four is Color Decay by The Devil Wears Prada. If you have this at number one, I understand. I don't disagree whatsoever. When it comes down to it, Color Decay might actually be like just pound for pound, punch for punch, the best album of the year. There are different reasons why I cannot look at it that way. The biggest one is that I cannot actually convince myself that this is my favorite Devil Wars Prada album ever. I think it's the most well-written, it is the most well-executed, but considering where I come from in the scene and how long I've actually been a part of the scene, theoretically, I was there for Plagues, and I was there for With Roots Above. I remember what those records meant to me as a teenager, and still what they mean to me today as an adult, and Color Decay... I don't know where this album will be once we get to 15 years from now. And I say 15 years because it's been 15 years since Plagues and that record still just lives rent-free in my head. But at the same time, Color Decay does that too. And it's been that way since I first heard this album back in September. And if I had to guess, it's going to be that way for a very long time because I remember where I was when I listened to this album for the first time. I remember where I was when I heard some of these singles like Sacrifice and Watchtower. I reviewed them on the weekly show back when those released and I was saying back then like if the Devil Wars product can take what they did on the act and morph it into something that is you know a, a little bit like I guess heavier in some instances they would be golden. And golden is exactly what they are. Salt was one of the singles, and Salt ended up meaning as much to me from the Devil Wars Prada as some of the older songs of theirs that I am so attached to for nostalgic reasons like Hey John or Docs and Grow Beards All Over. I do look at Salt in that same limelight. And it isn't just Salt, it's also Time. And the way that Time has this incredible layout and just something that I was able to like really, really exhibit as this proof of how far the Devil Wars Prada have come and how refined their sound is. I think when it comes to like bookending records, you are going to be hard pressed to find something from not just this year, but any year in the past where you have that caliber of a one-two punch like Exhibition and Cancer. Exhibition, I cannot get over that song. And a part of that comes from the first line in the chorus, Welcome to the Way Down. Color Decay is exactly just that. It is the way down. Because Color Decay will beat the living shit out of you 
and drag your body all the way down to hell and force you to relive pain and trauma or make you learn about what those things are. And I I don't want to get too much into cancer because I feel like I did that on the songs episode. So I would ask you guys to go check that out if you haven't already. What I will say is that cancer is one of the most painful songs I've ever listened to because of just how gross and brooding the thoughts that transpire from it really, really are. There's also the song Broken, which I didn't realize coming into the year and stuff. Just the amount of things I would really have to say about Broken and how effective that song really has been at being able to imprint itself in my head and just live there and never, ever leave. Broken is one of the best songs ever fucking written by the Devil Wears Prada. And again, to me, that says something considering how long I've been a fan of this band and how much of their material I do believe holds up to this day. When it comes down to it, Color Decay is a difficult album to recommend to anybody who hasn't heard it yet because it is this very heartbreaking and heart-mending journey. And it's not for everybody. This is definitely an album that, you know, it might as well have like a trigger warning or a content warning because it is so just deeply rooted into all of these very real things. Like, you know, sometimes we get songs through the scene that you might like need a listener to to really understand and try to identify yourself with. I feel like Color Decay, you work your way through this album you will find so many moments where you have to pause it and just really think to yourself like, holy shit, what was that? Like, what did I just hear? And subsequently now, what are these things I'm thinking? Color Decay can do that. I looked at the album artwork as a point of reference for just how like crazy this album can really get because it is definitely like a human-like figure that is on that artwork, but it is not a human. And I feel like that's another way to really describe Color Decay. It can show the humanity within me while also showing me these very inhumane characteristics I didn't know were there and I don't want to know any more about. Color Decay is fucking amazing. And it is an album that is so vital for the Devil Wears Prada and necessary to cement their legacy and their status as one of the greatest bands of all time. Number three is the highest rated EP on this list, so I am acknowledging right now that this is my EP of the year. Is This What I Look Like by Yours Truly? I said this about Stan Atlantic. I'm going to say it again about yours truly because it's almost exactly the same case. I owe you an apology. I was not familiar with your game. And I say that because in 2020, this band released self-care and aside from two songs together and Siamese Souls, I didn't care. 
I didn't mean for that to be a pun related to the name self-care, but just let it be. I really, really didn't care. I thought that at large, the song sounded fine, but I wanted more than just something that sounded fine because yours truly had material before that that I was able to really latch onto and believe that this band had potential in them to be one of the best in the world one day. I just didn't believe that self-care really showed everything that I knew could have been there, but I wasn't counting out yours truly. I knew that with some refining and the right necessary steps, I could one day be talking about them in that perfect limelight. And when Walking Over My Grave dropped last year as a single, I was very, 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 very excited. Because again, it's what I mentioned about Against the Current and San Atlantic. You could sense what was about to happen. But even with that knowledge... I don't believe that I was ready at all for it. And I know I wasn't ready because when Lights On came out back in March as a single, I disrespected the living shit out of that track. And what I mean by that is the way that I treated Lights On back then does not at all correlate to where it ranked in the top songs list. Go check out uh, that series if you want more of an explanation of what I mean by that. But ultimately, Lights On is a sensational, marvelous, wonderful, exciting song. And that in turn led to me having those same feelings towards literally everything else present on Is This What I Look Like? Because it's not just Walk Over My Grave. It's not just Lights On. It's Careless Kind and how that song has one of the coolest choruses I got to hear all year. It is Hallucinate and how Josh Franceschi from You Me at Six is just the perfect fit for that song. Like he is a glove when it comes to Hallucinate. It is Bruises and how Drew York from Straight From The Path, he like blends his style to what yours truly is doing. And it is a feature spot that makes all the sense in the world once you really get to appreciate it. If You're Drowning, I'll Learn How to Hold My Breath is this amazing song that I feel like I myself have not really had the chance to guess up on this show before. I don't know how many people have been able to gravitate towards it because I feel like it is the track from the CP that does get forgotten about, especially by myself. But it is just as energizing and infectious of a song as anything else on this EP. And I know for a fact that something that really helped the case for yours truly when it comes to how much I am gassing them up right now Getting to see them live on the True Power Tour was truly a one in a million experience. And like on the surface level, they were just the opening band. So their set time, people did use that to, you know, find their seats or meet up with friends. Or I remember walking to my seat. I saw in the cafeteria area, a lot of people just sitting down there eating chicken tenders. Chicken tenders fucking smack, but you know what? So does yours truly. And I really do think that those people missed out on the opportunity to watch a band that really might have next. And that is such a shame because again, yours truly had this banner year, the best year of their careers, because they got on a tour like True Power, a monumental tour for that matter, and they put out what I believe is the best EP of the year. This was something very remarkable for them. It was something really special for myself, 
And I, I think overall, the year that yours truly had and the effect of, is this what I look like, is something that I'm going to carry with me in my heart. And I will never, ever be able to forget about the effect that this EP had on my life. Number two, and subsequently, the runner-up for the Mikasa and Historia Award is Spiritual Ascension by Sharia Moore. This time, I do not owe anybody an apology because I have been familiar with your game. If anything, people owe Sharia Moore apologies for sleeping on them all the way back from the inception of this band last year when they dropped Burn in June of 2021. And if I sound like fired up about this, it's because I really, really am. I have been a day one supporter of Sharia Moore, and I don't say that as like a flex or nothing like that. I'm just saying that to really paint the picture to you guys about what this band means to me and how long I have been trying to tell people how fucking amazing Sharia Moore are. And I didn't need spiritual ascension to prove that, but I do have it as like additional ammunition. Sharia Moore have been one of the best rising bands since last year. And when it came down to the beginning of the record cycle for spiritual ascension, there was no reason for me to believe that that couldn't be true anymore. The first single was Sin City, and right away, that let me know that everything I believed in this band off of internal discussions was not forgotten about. They could still carry these like alt-rock and post-hardcore and R&B amalgamated themes in a way that I would not trust any other band to do so, but I have all the faith in the world for Sharia Moore to deliver every single time they choose to. Love's Not Your Thing is one of my favorite songs of the year. It might be like right there alongside Burn as my overall favorite song from this band to date. Just truly something special that had a great effect on building the anticipation for spiritual ascension and i can say the same thing about the other singles letting go and losing control because i just feel like there was no misstep that could have been taken with this band like you know you could have easily put mind's eye or god be a woman as a single and i still would have been right there ready to highlight and spotlight this album the way that it deserved to be like, the versatility that is shown by Sharia Moore here, it actually, in my mind, eclipses the versatility that was shown on internal discussions. Because you can get a song, like, on deck that is literally less than a minute long, and it's just like this straightforward punk rock song, and in the same breath, have the title track for Spiritual Ascension, and be, like, almost serenaded to in a way. Because that song has this pacing to it, that is not comparable to anything else on Spiritual Ascension, yet it is also one of the best portions of the entire album, in my opinion. 
the closing song even in my head is this very like euphoric and atmospheric track that is unlike anything else I listen to all year long. And I feel like I just keep reiterating that when it comes to Sharia Moore. I I can't listen to anything that is similar to them because there is nobody out there similar to them. There is nobody right now doing it like Sharia Moore. And, you know, that might be because there's just nobody else really as talented as them and as capable of delivering these sounds in this manner. This really, really large fucking manner that Sharia Moore have been able to cement as themselves. This band knows no limits. This band can absolutely control their destiny. Like at this point, I feel like it's up to them if they want to one day be one of the biggest bands in the scene. And there's just no way that does not happen in my opinion. Sharia Moore have earned and deserved their spot on my list, on anybody's list from here on out for the rest of their careers and the rest of their tenures. This is something that I am so proud of to put on in this fashion because, again, there is just nobody doing it like Sharia Moore. Number one, the winner of the second annual Mikasa and Historia Award for Ulterior and my choice for the 2022 Record of the Year is Rouge Carpet Disaster by Static Dress. I'm going to divide this explanation into two parts. The first one, dealing with some really, really personal things, and then the second part, we'll actually get into the record itself and how it sounds and all that sort of stuff. And if my voice sounds weird right now, it's because I'm literally shaking when I think about what it is I'm about to say and talk about. So, like, this is literally like, you know, human me trying to ask you guys to just please give me this space. May 18th, 2021, uh, my cat Mikasa passed away. And you guys hopefully do not understand what that is like to literally hold your best friend when she passes. And it's a feeling that I will never, ever be able to forget. No matter how badly I want to, I will never, never not think about that. Literally every fucking day of my life, I think about that moment. And I wish that wasn't the case. I wish I could think about all of the great memories that I had with her and how, you know, she in so many ways saved me. But the dominant thought in my mind whenever I think about her is May 18th, 2021, and how that was the worst day of my life and the after effects of having to deal with overwhelming anxiety and 
the depression and just everything and how, you know, the, um, there's a, there's a certain phone number that you're told to call whenever you have certain thoughts and feelings. When she passed, that was the first and so far only time I ever called that number because I was scared and I didn't know what to do and I didn't know what was going to happen. And I couldn't convince myself that everything was going to be okay. Mikasa shaped so much of this podcast. You you guys have seen before on social media the cat mascot. You know, it's the cat with the uh, the bloody eyes. The the mascot design is literally based off of her. Like she is the mascot. The bloody eyes. This is a whole separate story, but I have a mask that I designed. And the mask has black eyes and blood stains underneath them. And the mask represents something that, you know, I will tell the story about one day, I'm sure. But what you guys should know is that the original mask I have of that, I buried it with Mikasa. So that little mascot is meant to be what she is now and what she exists as now because she's not physically here anymore. So she has to live on through that mascot. And that mascot represents that day that I lost her. And the day that I lost a a big part of me that I'm never ever going to get back. And again, guys, that was May 18th, 2021. May 18th, 2022, Rouge Carpet Disaster came out. And there's no way for me to look at that as anything but a gift from Mikasa because albums don't release on fucking Wednesdays. Like that was so abnormal and albums that have as much anticipation behind them as Rouge Carpet Disaster did. I really do want to believe that somehow Mikasa was able to give me this album on that day to make sure that I didn't spend that whole day just, you know, mourning and being so sad over her and the anniversary of her passing. Rouge Carpet Disaster actually did make that an enjoyable day, despite all odds. And I am just so glad that it was Static Dress who got that spotlight that day, because I have been of the belief for years now that Static Dress are the best rising band. I've said so many times in this series, you know, so-and-so, whether it be Sharia Moore or yours truly, you know, Mood Ring, they are one of the best rising bands. I think Static Dress is the best rising band. And after hearing Rouge Carpet Disaster, I have way more thoughts about them in terms of like where their status is right now in the scene. You guys know, hopefully you know, that my favorite band of all time is Bring Me the Horizon. Right now, they are not my favorite current band. That is Static Dress. Static Dress really did take that spot from them, and they did it in as convincing of a fashion as they could have done it. And because it's not just the way that the band sounds, it is the image provided by them. It is the visuals that Ali Appleyard leads and how... There is a certain aesthetic to Static Dress that I cannot attach to any other band because there is no other band that has the image they do, the aesthetic they do, the overall production of Static Dress, and just the creative vision that this band possesses. Nobody else has that. And me kind of being an aesthetic junkie, 
that is so important to me in establishing a band's character and identity and static dress just did that like it, it felt like almost effortlessly once you get into the actual content on the album there is nothing out there like this i've said time and time again before about like post-hardcore revival this isn't just the revival of post-hardcore this is a glimpse into the future and it is also the establishment of what this genre is right now and what it should be because static dress they're not just you know giving out like nostalgic elements and nostalgic vibes like this is where we are right now in the scene and static dress completely dominate that the album like genuinely wastes no time because once you get into flea house the opening song just right away every facet that makes up this band like they punch you in the face with those genuinely and the way that that carries into sweet which really might be one of the if not the best song i've heard all decade so far sweet is able to like pull me in for all the right reasons for every reason that static dress has always been able to pull me in and there's a lot more i can say about sweet and how that song released two weeks after mika's a pass and it was one of those first songs where i listened to it and i was just like i fucking wish she was here for this and she was there for so much because i can remember like when this podcast started she would just like sit at my bedroom door and listen to me she had no idea what i was saying she didn't know about spirit box or fucking whatever else i was talking about back then but she knew it meant something to me and i wish i could have shared static dress with her i wish i could have shared tweet with her i wish i could have shared courtney just relax with her courtney just relax is a crazy fucking song and i remember seeing somewhere online ollie Appleyard said one of the intentions of that song was to kind of just like get heavier with every section as it progress and that's for sure what it does Dissenter featuring King Yosef, in my opinion, the best feature spot all year. The way that Ali and Yosef can just like work in unison with one another despite having very similar styles, it is a remarkable accomplishment what that song was able to do. There is no shortage of emotion packed into this record, whether it be through you know, a patented static dress sounding song like Such a Shame or something like Muddy Soul that is just so like beautiful while being malevolent this band just can do no wrong and there is nothing that they can't do in terms of chasing a certain sound unexplainable titles leaving you wondering why is just like this clinic on how to do fast-paced punk rock and just get your point across and get out of there like i can just put that song on and despite its frantic nature just be like at ease hearing it and find it so soothing to get through cubicle dialogue i've said before might be my favorite closing song all year and just the way that it is able to bring all of the ideas in this album full circle and give me something to be proud of and at large just take with me and understand how much Rouge Carpet Disaster meant to me by the time I finished it. 
the record of the year spot was never really in question for myself. I have known since the first time I finished Rouge Carpet Disaster that it was going to be record of the year because there was just no way that it couldn't. The circumstances surrounding its release for myself, the way that it sounds, the realization that the best band in the world released the best album of the year. It was the perfect storm. Like it genuinely was. Everything clicked for Static Dress on this record. Everything just made me so happy with the scene. And I said earlier, I'm really never happy. I was happy hearing Rouge Sharp Disaster. I am happy every single time I get to hear it because I understand that I'm listening to what I believe is one of the greatest debut albums in the history of music. And I'm listening to a band that, in my opinion right now, they are the best in the world and they can continue to do so. And it's not hard for them to do that. I don't fucking know how it's so easy for them to just be amazing, but it's effortless for them. And it's just so satisfying and rewarding. And I told you guys earlier in this entry that when Mikasa passed, I didn't know what was going to happen to me. I didn't know what I wanted to happen to me. It's been over a year and a half since then. And I can say that one of the reasons why I am happy to have held on and why I'm happy to be here is because I got to hear Rouge Carpet Disaster. Like, I literally genuinely mean that from the bottom of my heart, guys. Rouge Carpet Disaster has made my life better. And the fact that something like music could do that, I I don't regret whatsoever that this is my avenue and my passion and the thing that I have chosen to fully explore and hopefully one day turn into my livelihood because I love this shit. Like I really, really do. I love getting to hear music and talk to you guys about it. I love being able to express why this means so much to me. And there was no album this year that meant more to me than Rouge Carpet Disaster. There is no band right now that means more to me than Static Dress. They make all of this shit worth it. And that's it. That's not just it for the series. That's not just it for the awards, festivities. That's it for the year. We did it. And I really mean that we did it. Because, yes, I'm the one that put in the effort to make all these episodes and make all this happen. But you guys are the ones who tapped in for whatever fucking strange reason. Like, I'm just some weird, old-ass, brooding emo guy. I've done nothing to warrant y'all having any kind of a vested interest in what I think about this stuff. But it's what's happening. And because of this collaborative effort between myself and you all, I made it through an entire year of reviews. And now we go into season three and we move. We ball. And my declaration as I end this year is that I will keep going until the wheels fall off. I don't fully know what that means. I don't know what that looks like. But until I am absolutely no longer able to produce content in any way for whatever reason, you guys will continue to have to put up with me for better or worse. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode, this series, this year, and 
for the love of the game, let's make a scene. <laughs>